Well, so good to see everyone today. Welcome to Centerpoint. If you are new here, my name is John. I'm lead pastor, and I'm glad that you're our guest. And I wanted to just take a moment before I get into the message and, uh, and shout out Living Stones Church. And here's why. Two years ago, as a community, Centerpoint Church, we launched out a, a brand new church with Justin and Chelsea Kenton. And it's called Living Stones Church over in French Valley. And they just today hit their two-year birthday as a church. And man, I'm so proud of... Livingstone's Church, there's a couple hundred people in French Valley growing in faith in Jesus, and you as a church have something to do with how that has come to, to, to take place. So it's w- what a great thing to celebrate. Um, I'm so happy about that. All right, uh, this is part two of Count on Me. And in this series, we are dialing up the relationship factors and, and learning how from God's word to, to build into those relationships that end up uh, bringing strength and health and goodness to our lives. And we're going to be talking today about marriage. So let me just ask a question. By way of a show of hands, how many of you who are here in the room, I can't see if you're at home or online, but in the room, raise your hand if you're married. Just raise your hand if you're married. Now, keep your hand up. Raise your hand if you want to be married one day. You're hoping maybe one day you want to be married. Okay, a whole bunch of us, right? And so I'm figuring that this message today uh, will land for most of us. And I would even go so far as to say, listen, if you are single, Uh, Maybe this message today is for future reference. You could just kind of tuck it in the back pocket and whatever, 10 years from now or 10 months, whatever God might have. Or for others, you might think, I'm never getting married. What's the point of the? Maybe the point of the message today would be for you uh, to get some wisdom from God's word so you can help out all your married friends with all their troubles. I don't know. But I'm praying and hoping that this message will be uh, a helpful and impactful one for all of us, especially those of us who are married and we are maybe uh, in a rough patch. Maybe we've gotten a little bit of a, of, of a, of a difficult passage that we're kind of walking through. And today, uh, this message, I believe, can bring some help. But for all of us, this is what we're going to do. We're going to live out what God's Word says in Hebrews 13.4. In Hebrews 13.4, the Word of God literally says to every believer, give honor to marriage. Why don't you just read that verse out loud with me? Ready? Go. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. So that's what we're going to do in this message. Married, single, widowed, single for life, single for a month or two, whatever it might be. We're going to give honor to marriage. And uh, before I Before I dial into the scriptures, and we're going to spend a little bit of time today in Ephesians 5. You can start making your way over to Ephesians 5. Uh, I wanted to just tell you about one of the greatest investments I've ever made. So uh, the investment was $5,700, and I was in my uh, mid-20s, and I took that $5,700, a lot of money for a young man, and I invested it all into this right here. I invested all of it into this. This ring was that investment. And I want to tell you, I believe that it was a very good investment. It may be the greatest investment in my, my, my life because that ring led to these other rings and it led to this amazing moment with that amazing lady. And then that moment led to moments like this and a lot more closer than that. And then this moment led to that. Yes, we did do a Korean ceremony. Yes, we did. And then this moment led to fast forward 
you know, this moment and everything in between. So I believe that investment was a good investment, the greatest investment of my life. But, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of fast forwarding it, but that last picture, I mean, it really does represent the greatest achievement, if I could call it that, or fulfillment or sense of significance in my whole entire life. Just being able to grow a family together with my wife. What greater privilege and joy could, could I know in this earth? And that investment with that ring is symbolic of how we got there. And I wanted to just explore that a little bit today and, and let you know that, that our marriage, Anna and I, our marriage has been a little bit like that ring. Here's what I mean. Like on day one, when we first got that ring, it was sparkly and brand new and shiny, and she would look at it like this all the time, and then that made me feel very proud that I had done the right thing and got her something good, because, you know, fellas, like, right, you, you, you know that look, right, how it makes you feel so good, right? I miss that, by the way. I miss that. Anyway, <laughs> but we, we, uh, we had this brand new ring, but after a few years, that ring started looking kind of dingy. Especially six, seven years in, I mean, it was like tarnished and whatnot, and it just had been through it. And, and so we took that ring back to the jeweler, and they did uh, something called a rhodium plating. And they gave the whole entire ring a brand new finished plating so that it was sparkly and shiny like it was brand new. And, uh, and then even after that, maybe a few years later, uh, my wife started noticing it's getting dingy again. So she starts doing this thing every week and even to this day, putting that ring into this special little blue liquid sitting there on the bathroom counter and, and, and puts it there. And I had to ask, like, what is that? And she explained to me it's a, it's a cleaning, ring cleaning fluid and whatnot. And, and then even after that, we had to take the ring back for another rhodium plating after about 15 years. And, and then it was sparkly and brand new again. But our marriage has actually been a little bit like that ring. And here's what I mean. Like on day one in the picture that you saw there, of course, it was sparkly and shiny and perfect. And then I happened, you know. <laughs> but literally, we, 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 we went into some seasons in our life, in our married life together, where our marriage was pretty dingy. I mean, whole stretches of months and months where the marriage was dingy, dingy so bad that uh, we would want to send it back to the jeweler and let them not just put a rhodium plating on it, but maybe just melt the thing down. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, we had some moments like that, some seasons like that. And what we did during those times is we did, figuratively speaking, take it back to the jeweler. We went into to counseling and got, you know, family therapy. We, we got mentors individually speaking into our lives. How could we grow? We, we uh, went to marriage conferences and marriage seminars and marriage retreats and took classes and read marriage books. And, and we got that we got that rhodium plating back on it. And, and as we have worked through some things, we've come to a place where, where there's health and goodness and vitality in our marriage. And I wanted to share that today so that you would have hope. Because for somebody right now, I mean, I'm kind of understating that season. I'm comparing it to, oh, it was a little dingy like the ring. No, if you would have been there, 
you would have realized like, oh my gosh, this is rough. Like, are these guys going to make it? And I can joke about it looking back, but, but there were moments where, uh, let me just say it like this, we, uh, Anne went to live with her cousins while I was a pastor. It was rough, people, right? But so I want you to know there is hope for somebody right now. You're a couple years in. You're struggling. You're wondering, are we ever going to make it? Uh, maybe we can't. But I believe that, we, that there is a way that God can get a hold of you and God can get a hold of her. And then the strength of God can come and you can experience this reality, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's not just a church reality. That's a life reality. And that includes married life reality, Christ in me you, the hope of glory. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time today uh, making our way. Uh, this is a, a long warm-up that I'm going for right now, but we're going <laughs> to make it to Ephesians uh, 5 in just a moment. But first, uh, let me just lay out the main idea of the marriage. My, my, my marriage is like that ring, and, and that ring, we've had to be intentional over the years about helping to maintain it and get it clean when it wasn't shining like it should. And we've had to be intentional in our marriage. And we've had to work on it. And the message I want to share today is about how to win in marriage. But I could quickly sum it up. If you're going to win at marriage, you're going to need to work on it. And I think it's worth it to work it. I think that the, the marriage that Ann and I enjoy is, like I said, the greatest source of sense of significance and fulfillment that I could ever hope for in my life. It's worth it to work it. But what we've got to do is choose to recognize the oneness of what God has created in a marriage as something valuable and worth working on, worth fighting for, worth adding to, worth going after, worth being intentional with regards to. That oneness, that, that magic that what, what God did on that, and I don't mean magic in some weird way, I just mean it was great and fun, something like that. That magic that God did when he made the two one, that's worth fighting for. And so here's how we win in marriage. We win in marriage by working on the oneness. That's the main idea of this message. We win in marriage by working on the oneness. I want you to just say that with me. Say, we win in marriage by working on the oneness. Say it one more time. We win in marriage by working on the oneness. It's probably not going to come about by autopilot. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some intentionality. But the oneness is what we're really uh, going after and what we, we really want to hear from God about. So Ephesians chapter 5 dials us in on that oneness just a little bit. So let's go there now to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, and further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to pre present her to himself as a glorious church 
without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his own wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Say the last part with me right here. And the two are united into, and the two are united into one. And this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so this is the inspired word of God. It's Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is talking to people about being disciples, generally speaking. And in the verses right before this, Paul had been talking to believers saying, you ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then right on the heels of that, because it's, it's just as much a part of a, a glorious God-honoring life, if, if, if we're married, is to understand this. And that's why it, it says, and further, that's, we're jumping into the middle of a discussion here, and further, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This passage that we're going to dive into, I believe that it reveals three distinct ways we can win in marriage. The overarching principle, though, is that we win in marriage by working on the oneness. We just highlighted that verse where, where it says the two become one. And that oneness, we get to move towards it and make choices to move towards an experience of that oneness. And that's what I'm praying that all of us will have a resolve to do, to say we work on, on that oneness uh, as a way of winning in the marriage. But there are three particular factors that, that we are going to pay attention to. The first one is in verse 21. Let's go back to verse 21, and I want you to read this from the screen altogether. Ready? Go. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This, uh, this is the reality, that that you and I are meant to be people who have a, a legitimate reverence for Christ at the core of our own beings. That you and I are going to live our life at its best when we are personally, individually cultivating a reverence for Christ, a love for Jesus, a praise for King and Savior Jesus Christ at the core of our being. Because when we do that, we are going to experience a deep satisfaction in the interior of who we are that will allow us to come to all of the moments of marriage, the beautiful, amazing ones, and the challenging ones with a fullness inside, with a strength inside, with a love inside that will ultimately find its origin in heaven itself. Reverence for Christ. I want you to just put your hand on your own heart for a second and just say, God help me <laughs> to live with reverence for Christ. Like in every way, to, to really live it, to choose to honor Jesus and to live his ways and to love him well and to find satisfaction in the presence of Jesus. Like that might be the best thing that some of us could do for our, our marriages. It is instead of maybe thinking, well, this marriage, the problem is him. 
maybe we need to just recognize the problem is that maybe I'm not loving Jesus quite as much as, as I could and, and that's where the lack may be because if I had reverence for Christ within me, here's what might happen. I might look at him and instead of seeing that guy who did that thing that I'm still so pissed about, I might see the glory of God in his eyes. I might see Jesus alive in him. I might see Christ in him, the hope of glory, as the reality. And then I might come to that relationship with a little bit of a different tone. So reverence for Christ, man, I think it changes the dynamic completely. But let's not miss the, the operative verb, though, in verse 21. It said, therefore, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we know the whole passage is going to be talking about marriage, but the starting point is this, this mutual submission that God looks at and says, if you want to win in your marriage, you're going to have to both learn how to lay it down. It's not just you got to or just you've got to. You've both got to learn how to just lay it down. And so if we're going to win in marriage by working on that oneness, here's a way you can work on the oneness. If you like to take notes, uh, this is what I'd ask you to write down. Work on the oneness by cultivating a give and give culture in the relationship. Give and give. Everyone say give and give. Give and give. You know, all of us are familiar with the phrase give and take give to get. But if we come to our marriage with that kind of a mentality, which is like, oh, I, I'm gonna, I, I, there got to be some give and take. I got to get, and you got to get, we're going to have some trouble. I think what God envisions is a kind of a relationship dynamic where both a husband and a wife are coming with a heart to say, I give 100%. Can you imagine if you've got two people in a relationship both valuing the dignity and worth in that other so much that both would say, I'm ready to give 100%. Can you imagine the fullness that could be there in that relationship? And that's what God envisions for us. And I believe it is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. It absolutely is possible to live that way. When you have a reverence for Christ alive and well in you, it empowers something supernatural natural to flow through you, an ability to say, I'm here to give. I'm here to give, and I'm here to give some more. But when both do that, man, then the sparks can really fly. And, and so work on that oneness by cultivating a give and give culture. I saw an interview with Gabrielle Union, who's married to uh, Dwayne Wade, and, and he's a you know, former professional athlete. She's an athlete and an actress and both very competitive people. And in this interview, she was talking about how rough their marriage has been. And if you know anything about their story, it's been rough. But they've pushed through, kept fighting through. And, and she said this. She said, you know, when we first got married, I brought that competitive spirit to the marriage. Like, uh, if we're going to fight, I'm going to win. And she said, and what I was doing inadvertently was I was making my husband a loser. Like, if there was going to be something going down in the marriage, I had to win. And that meant he would have to lose. And, and she acknowledged that that really didn't do wonders for their relationship. And that, in fact, she had to change her mentality and understand that we need to, as a married couple, learn how to not play a zero-sum game with each other, but instead see that we're, we're going to win by working on cultivating that give-and-give give kind of a culture. Give-and-give. Give. give in to each other. Yield to each other. Give deference 
to each other. Let the other have their way. One of the things I had to learn early on in my marriage, one of the things that made our ring very dingy for a certain stretch of time was when it came to decorating the house, I thought that I should be able to get my way. I thought I should be able to pick out what kind of wall art. I ought to pick out what kind of bedspread. I ought to pick out what kind of furniture. I learned that that's not an area where I should probably get my way. <laughs> and I learned the hard way. I'm just passing that along to somebody right now. That might be the, the word of God for you personally. <laughs> Work on, on cultivating that give and give culture. It's really about recognizing the value of, of mutual submission. Okay, so in verse 21, it says, further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what we know, because we read it already, is what comes next is, uh, it says, and wives submit to your husbands. But I want you to know this, that in verse 22, in the original Greek text of the Bible, there's no verb. It doesn't say submit in verse 22. Here's why. In the original language, the verb only comes in verse 21, where it says submit to one another. And then and only then is that verb carried over by implication into verse 22. This is very important because otherwise uh, you might hear verse 22 as some sort of a bludgeoning tool against women. And that's certainly not what it is. Just keep it in mind. The starting point was both y'all got to submit to one another. And then we can talk about what it said in verse 22. So let me keep reading. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verse 22, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And so while the starting point was mutual submission, both submitting to one another, from the heart of God, there is this wisdom, this calling for, for wives to recognize the unique gift that can be brought and God would call to be brought into a marriage through a wife who would be willing to submit to a husband. I want you to just think about what that word means. It means to yield to, to give way to, to allow decision-making by, to order or arrange under. It, it is a beautiful thing when there is a wife who's willing to do that. But here's what happens for me. When I read these words, where it, it's basically saying, yeah, Ann Hansen is going to have to submit to John Hansen. When I read those words, let me tell you, it has a sobering effect on me. Because when I read those words, I find myself thinking, well, then if that's supposed to happen, God help me to be the kind of man that she would be willing to submit to. God help me to be the kind of man who she could respect enough to want to say, I'm going to defer to you on this. Like, I, God, I'm going to need you to help me to live in such a way that I could be worthy of her willingness to do that. <laughs> and I hope every brother would feel it the same way, that you wouldn't turn it as something to sort of throw at her, but you would allow it to hit you personally as, what am I going to do? How am I going to live in such a way that she might be willing to even live that word of God out. And, and if we're wondering, well, what, what does it really mean? I think verse 33 kind of brought a summary to us about it. And it said it like this. It said in verse 33, so again, I say, 
Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And, and maybe it is the case that this word respect is chosen because it adequately kind of summarizes everything that would be included in what it would mean to, to submit to a husband. But the respect factor is incredibly important. Okay, so we're talking in this marriage about how we win. And we win at marriage by working on the oneness. And we started by saying, and we're going to do that by cultivating a culture of give and give in the marriage. But now, let's get into number two. And this one is for the sake of the fellas and what we just read. And it said, work on, and I'm saying it like this, work on the oneness by ensuring that respect is experienced. Work on the oneness by ensuring that respect is experienced. You know, respect is a, is a great word, but if all it is is a word, it isn't going to be felt. And so part of what needs to happen, what there's generally a bit of a learning curve for most marriages on, is how to live in such a way that respect is experienced for him. Because, I mean, after all, uh, we all want to live by that age-old adage that everyone says all the time, happy husband, happy home. And I know that you all, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it should be thrown in from time to time. Just <laughs> but let's talk about respect for a moment. Let me just throw out three ways that respect is often experienced by most husbands. This is an exhaustive list. I mean, there could be a lot more ways respect is experienced, but here are a few to get us started. First of all, companionship. Plain and simple, companionship is one of the ways respect is experienced by most husbands. That sense that uh, she's willing to go with me. She's willing to be with me in doing this, this thing together. And, and for example, like when, when we were going on a vacation this past summer, uh, I really wanted to do this long, sweaty, uh, difficult hike through this muddy forest. And I really hoped that my wife would be willing to do it with me. But I kind of thought to myself, nah, she's not going to do that. My wife is not a hike through a sweaty, hot, muddy forest kind of a gal. She's just not. But you know what? She threw in some special hiking shoes into the suitcase. And the day of, she was the first one up, ready to go even before I was, and did that whole hike with me. And man, you know what? Mm, that filled my tank. That was, that was like respect turned from a word into a reality. Like she respected, but it made my heart feel so full, made my tank inside feel full towards her. Companionship is a way that respect can be experienced, and that's the first one. The second one would be appreciation. Appreciation. When there's respect that's only in a wife's mind, it's not experienced by this brother. There needs to be a way that's conveyed, and appreciation or admiration is one of those ways. So let him know 
Let him know when, when he came home late, instead of being angry or bothered that he came home late, tell him you appreciate that he stayed extra long at work to get that thing done so that they, he could provide for your family. When, when he's uh, doing that stuff, taking the kids to the field and spending that time trying to be an assistant coach, even though he really doesn't know what he's doing out there, tell him you appreciate him for being that kind of dad that would be willing to show up. Somebody just hugged her husband knowingly when I just said that. I don't know what that was about, but, but, but express that appreciation. Let him know that you see the value he's bringing to the, to, to the family and to the dynamic and to the relationship. Say it out loud so that he knows it. And the third way that respect is experienced is sex. And I'm not going to dive into this in detail today because next weekend, the whole entire message will be about sexual intimacy in marriage. I do want you to know that, by the way. I want you to be kind of forewarned that we will go there. So let's uh, come ready. And, and maybe if you're right now going, oh, then I'm not coming. Maybe you actually should. Maybe you should. I'm going to just take the scriptures and pass them along to you. And so maybe it would be good to say, all right, I'll hear it. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it is important, in case you are planning on skipping next week, that you hear this, that this is one of the ways respect is experienced, because it, it, it conveys a, a fundamental understanding that there is a drive inside of a man created by God, fueled by the testosterone that allows him to be an effective human being, and that coming alongside him to be a part of the solution to that need is a way that respect is being brought in real time. And so those three factors are, are, are important ones. And, and, and I want to just convey to you that there is a need to let this get more personal. So here's what I'd ask you to do. Have a conversation. Because maybe the three things I just suggested aren't really exactly what he needs for respect to be experienced. And so you need to ask him. Ask him this question. Or ask him, rather, to complete this statement. I feel respected when, and then let him fill in the blanks. Ask him to complete that statement for you. I feel respected when, and then let him say it. When you, and then he can say what those factors are. This would be a life-giving conversation, but you can't get defensive when he provides his answer. Just smile and nod and say, okay. That would be a great way to to do this conversation. And uh, l l let me continue in, in Ephesians 5.25. So keep reading. So we, 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 we dealt enough with God and his word for wives, haven't we? Somebody say amen. Okay, we'll move right along. Verse 25. For husbands, remember we're still talking about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it just carries through this whole passage. And then we get to the husbands. You are not off the hook. In fact, you are on it very securely. <laughs> For husbands, this means love your wives just like Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, just pause for a minute, right? I just, this is not what, th this is the, the miracle of this passage. It's about marriage, but it's also just about Jesus and his love for you. Like this is, right in the middle of a talk about marriage, it's like Holy Spirit is going, I know, I know, but just don't, don't lose sight of this, how much Jesus loved you. 
that he was willing to give his life up for you. And it's for every single person here. Just let this penetrate in your heart today that you are loved with an everlasting love that is demonstrated in the perfection of Jesus saying, I'm willing to give up my life for you. I'm willing to let go of the glory of heaven for you. I'm willing to give my own self for all eternity for you to to be saved. This is the glory of the gospel right here in the middle of the passage on marriage. Thanks be to God. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present you, her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Don't you know that's how he sees you? Somebody came in today, you're feeling a little guilty, you're feeling tarnished. But let me just tell you, the blood of Jesus is perfect and powerful and for all eternity says you are not tarnished, you are made clean. He has done something to present you to himself as perfect without a blemish, no spot, no wrinkle. Come on, somebody say, thank you, God, right? Woo, thank you, God. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. As we've understood, this is about Jesus and the church, but it's also about how God wants to see a husband love a wife. And, and it lands here at the end with a recognition that, that needs are to be met. Needs are to be met. And meeting needs requires husbands to take their selfishness and throw it down before the foot of the cross so that they can die to themselves and rise up and love her well. And so for every brother, if you're married, you are called upon to do that, to throw your selfishness down before the foot of the cross again and then step up on it closer to that cross where you receive the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus flowing into you so you can love like he did. Brothers, this is what you're called to. Young men, if you're thinking about getting married one day, this is what you will need more than anything, to know how to get yourself to the foot of the cross on a daily basis, grab a hold of his unfailing love and strength and mercy and power and grit and grace and all of it so that you can run back into your home and into your family with more of it. This is what we get the privilege of being able to do. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 said, husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Say that verse out loud with me. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Jesus is our standard. And, and if we're going to do this, then, then we need to work on the oneness by living out the love for her. Work on the oneness by living out the love for her. In the same way that I said respect, if it's just a word and it isn't conveyed in real time, it doesn't really have the value that it is meant to have. The same is true for love. When God says, husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church, he wasn't talking about, well, you should get, what you basically need to do is get her a Hallmark card once a year and call it good. Like that would not be what God has in mind for his precious daughter that you happen to marry. And that is the dynamic. God has in mind that you would live a love that responds to her deepest needs. And just, just think about this for a moment. One of the ways that Jesus loves you and me is he speaks kindly to us. 
He speaks a word of value to us. Why do we come and read the Bible so often? Because we find God speaking to us words of affirmation and love and encouragement. This is Jesus' words. So this is maybe the best place we could start in terms of what would it mean to love our wives like Christ loved the church? Well, I don't know. How about learning how to communicate in love and affirmation and encouragement and appreciation because it cuts both ways. Don't think that just because I said appreciation was something that, that the husbands need that it means that the wives don't. Come on. It's just as needed. And, and so what we need to do is learn how to live out that love. A mentor of mine, Bill Thrall, I was sitting down with him one time. Actually, Ann and I were sitting down with him one time and doing a little bit of checkup on our, on our lives together because that's sometimes needed. And he said, listen, let me tell you what love is. And then he said, love, and he's an 82-year-old saint with deep wisdom. And he said, love is the process of meeting needs. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound very romantic. <laughs> But he said it again, and he said, why don't you write this down? <laughs> love is the process of meeting needs. And I don't think he meant that that's the only thing love is, but that that better be part of our understanding, my understanding of love, especially when it comes to relationships and the ones that matter the most, like marriage. Love is the process of meeting needs. And I think we just saw that in the scripture that we read in Ephesians 5, uh, 26, 27, that there is something about needs being met that's at the very core of a married life. And so if I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church, then I need to think about what are the needs of love that she has. And again, I'm going to give a starter list of two or three things, but I hope that you'll let it get more personal in your own conversations. But love needs to to include uh, cultivating a sense of emotional connection, emotional connection. I've discovered that that's something that's truly needed in my relationship with my wife, a sense of emotional connection is part of what she needs to feel loved by me. So for example, like I might bump into my buddy Eric and, and he might ask me, how's your day? And I'll go, fine. And then we'll smile at each other and nod. And we just had an amazing and fulfilling and life-giving conversation. It was great. And then we walk away. Everything's great. We, we bonded, you know? But what I've found is that if I try to play it that way with my wife all the time, it's not going to create a sense of emotional connection. And so I've had to learn over the years because uh, people have, have pointed out to me that I have a, a, a kind of a, a, an answer that I give a lot of the times. Uh, people say something or, or ask something, and my answer is, hmm. Mm. I think I learned it from my dad, and he learned it from his uncle, who learned it from his father, who learned it. I mean, it's like through the family line. I can see all, at the family reunions that men back in Nebraska were going, hmm. Mm. You know, it's just like that. <laughs> but I've had to learn in my married life, that's not going to be the most helpful. I've had to learn how to engage more to create that sense of emotional connection. So it, sometimes it's as simple as when she's talking, actually responding out loud with something other than, mm. like, for example, the simple phrase, wow, tell me more about that, or something like that. Wow, tell me more about that. 
or, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that. That must have felt so crazy, like saying those kind of things. But that's a learned skill. I didn't come out of the factory knowing how to do that. I've had to decide that I'm going to learn to do that and put it into practice. And I want to suggest that to somebody. Put the thing down, look her in the eyes, and when she's talking, nod your head and say, wow, I can't believe that. Tell me more. You know what's going to happen? She's going to go it's going to feel that connection, that bond is going to be growing. And <laughs> I'm telling you, for somebody, this is also the word of God for you. And you know what else? Husbands, lead spiritually. This is one of the ways that love needs to be lived out. Your willingness to lead spiritually. It's such a sad thing when I hear a, a, a wife saying, you know what, we wouldn't even be coming to church if it wasn't for me dragging him. And that stinks. That's not what God envisioned. God envisioned that there would be a husband who would be willing to love by, by leading spiritually. And so maybe, husbands, one of the things you should do is this week say to your wife, hey, let's pray together. Just that. Hey, let's pray together. And I know, I know. You're thinking, well, I don't, I'm not really good at that, and I don't know if I know how to do that. You can talk to your Father in heaven. You can do it. And just pray. And just pray blessings over your family together. Leading spiritually in even that kind of a way will take that sense of love to a deeper place. And uh, then also give security. Give security. Give security so that love is felt. Here's what I mean. Maybe what you need to choose to do to give that sense of security so that love is experienced is to be sober. Get sober. Show up. And be there when you said you would. Learn how to flow in the Holy Spirit so that you have self-control. So that there is more of a sense of calm rather than agitation. I'm telling you, it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And so for every brother, I release a testimony to you of the growing that God has done in me. To go from an angry husband who's breaking furniture in front of my wife. That doesn't create a sense of love and security, by the way. To becoming somebody who is able to flow more in the Holy Spirit's power where self-control comes. So that there isn't as much of an eruption that causes damage and the opposite of an experience of love. I hope that we can live this out. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. All right, so I, I mentioned that, that, uh, that we're all going to work on this together, winning in marriage. And one of the ways that we're going to win is by working on the oneness in the presence of God. So I want us to make sure to take some time to pray together. Because here's what I know. I know that for some of us, we came to church today and, you know what, things have been great. Our married life is good. We just had a nice, you know, a nice date together and we're happy. And so today it's easy. It's like, this is great. Let's just keep doing that stuff. And yeah, I like it. But others of us, it's, it's actually been kind of tough because we've been sitting here listening to this message and feeling a little bit of uh, resentment maybe or anger even. Others of us, it's just deep sadness because uh, maybe they're not even here. And I want us to pray together, because no matter where we're coming from, we need God. Even if, if things are great right now, we need God so that we can keep seeing that good stuff flow even more. For others of us, we need God's healing. 
And so I want us to take a moment right now, and if you're, if you're with your spouse, I want you to just put your arm around each other. I want you to just, or maybe grasp hands together. I'm asking you to do this, and uh, even if you just do it out of obligation and compliance, go for it right now. <laughs> put your arm around that person. And let's just take a moment. We're going to pray. And I'm also going to pray that God would do some spiritual awakening for others of us. But first, just we're going to pray for marriages. So let's just do that. God, I want to pray right now for your healing to come where it's needed. God, I pray right now for the ones uh, of us where it's kind of like how Ann and I were the first few years of our marriage, where it was just so hard, like ready to just throw it down. But God, I pray that there would be a wave of your softening, healing goodness that would come. And this is what I sense while I'm praying for you. It's literally like a, what I'm seeing in this spirit. It's like this wave, very slow-moving wave, of just like this golden presence of God. And it just is beginning to crest over you, but not splashing fast, but just rolling slowly and just melting away. Like that's what I see, like shoulders that are hunched up with tension, pressure, anger, like the, the presence of God comes in this golden wave and just melts that away. And God, I pray that right now that would happen for some of us in our married lives. And I, I pray, Father, that you would allow some of us, even right now, to, to, to feel your love again for her and for him. And maybe while you're praying together, you just kind of Hold one another a little tighter as a way of saying, I do. I, I, I'm, I'm experiencing God's love flowing through me for you, husband, wife. And God, I pray that you would bring um, a new willingness from both a husband and a wife to bring this mutual submission, this give and give kind of a culture, this respect lived out, this love lived out dynamic. And I pray that, Lord, supernaturally, you would give us creativity and ways to do it. Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to have the conversations to say, I feel respected when, and to then fill in the blanks and say to one another what it is. I feel loved by you when, and then to say what it is. I pray, God, you would give us courage to have those kind of conversations. And Lord, I pray that you would allow there to be, because of this moment, where you began to initiate a deep healing in some relationships, that there would be testimonies of pictures on walls of this couple 40 years in. Gray hair, old, seasoned, having made it through many things together. I declare that over some of you as couples right now. By God's grace, you're going to make it. You're going you're gonna to stop fighting to win so that the other is wrong. And instead, you're going to fight for the oneness to be protected. And while we're praying together, I bless you in Jesus' name to feel the Spirit of God prompting you to forgive as you've been forgiven. And to love as you've been loved. I bless you in Jesus' name to have hope for what can come in and through these marriages. Give that spouse a good little squeeze right now real quick. Just a good squeeze. Let them know you love them. Thank you, Father, for the blessing on these marriages.
Lord, I pray for some of us who have been through a divorce and we just, we hurt inside. We wonder, can I ever trust? Could I ever even trust again? Lord, I pray for healing to come and where there's been just such disappointment in this whole area of marriage. God, I pray for your healing grace to come right now and to lift that burden supernaturally. Yeah, and I pray, Father, for those who are single, God, that you would cause there to be a sense of uh, anticipation and hope for what a married life could look like one day. And for some of us, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the, the grace of maybe this being the year that, that we meet that person and that, we, that you would, like, highlight the, the qualities that, uh, that are from you in that person that make them just right for us. Lord, I pray that you'd give that gift to somebody in this year and we'd have a testimony of it. Thank you, Lord. Okay, while we're praying together, let me just make sure I say this. In the middle of the message, we talked about Jesus and, and his relationship to the church, giving up his life for the church, God's people, you. And for many of us who are believers, we've embraced that Jesus has done that for us. And we live every day knowing I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm loved. And it allows us to make it through the hard things and it gives us the hope of eternal life to live by in this dark world. And so for somebody right now, I want to ask that you would consider whether you are in right standing with God. Like, do you know that you're right with God? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you are saved and that you have a home for all eternity in heaven? If you do know that, then this is another day to be simply saying, God, thank you for the gospel by which I'm saved through Christ. And for someone else, man, if you're not sure where you stand with God, there could be nothing more important than knowing I'm right with God and not because I've done a bunch of right things but because I've accepted Jesus and all of his righteousness and what he did on the cross to make me holy without blemish or spot or wrinkle like we read about. If, you, if you're here today and you would say, I think I need to actually say yes to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sin and save my life, then right now I want you to just raise your hand. You're saying, I need to do that. I need to say yes to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sin and save my life. Raise your hand with me. That's you finally saying, Jesus Christ, I need you. And if you're at home online, just type it into the comments and type in, I give my life to Jesus. Those of you who just raised a hand with me, I want you to pray with me. And you say something like this. You say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm asking you to forgive my sins and save me. I'm yours and you are my Lord and Savior from this moment on. Thank you for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And let's all say together amen and stand up. And let's honor God together. Give him praise together. Give him glory for just a moment. And just right now, we just say all together, God, thank you for loving us and strengthening us. And we want to live out your word. And so we thank you, Father, that you've loved us with an everlasting love that can carry us all the way. We honor you. We praise you. We give you glory, God. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down and fights till I'm found and leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. 
So I want you to hear this for just a moment. For every single one of us, for every one of us, this is the reality that we can build our lives on. A love of God that becomes the foundation that allows us to love her, to respect him, because we have been filled with that sense of his love for us. And so I want you to just declare it one time right now. Sing it out. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 